Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of education research in the classroom. Each episode features a conversation with a different guest, teachers, authors and others interested in education, talking about what the phrase from page to practice means to them and the importance of applying evidence to classroom practice. Hi and welcome to Series 5, Episode 15. In today's episode, I speak to Isabel Jones. Our conversation covers how things have changed during Isabel's career, the importance of organisations such as research ed and subject associations, and her role in supporting ITTs. Hi, and welcome back to From Page to Practice. And today I'm talking to Isabel Jones. And rather than say anything about Isabel myself, I'm going to ask Isabel to introduce herself to you. Isabel. Okay, good morning. Um, so I'm Isabel Jones. I, I am a language teacher. I've been a language teacher for a long time. And I'm in my 30, 30th year of teaching. Um, I, uh, I teach French and Spanish mostly, although I have uh, been known to teach a bit of German and English as a foreign language. Uh, I was a um, head of department in two different schools for 18 years. Um, more recently, um, at my most um, recent school, uh, I'm an associate assistant head teacher, and I'm in charge of ITT um, education. I'm the educational visit coordinator, um, and I'm also in charge of CPD. And I was very happy recently to organise the first research ed Cheshire. Amazing. I have a feeling there's going to be plenty for us to talk about today. So before we dive into all of that, uh, what does the phrase from page to practice mean to you? Um, For me, really, it's um, like a quest for self-improvement as a teacher. Uh, So it's about using research to identify what could be my best bet in, in my own context and also this idea of keeping improving. So using the research really to, to, to keep doing that. Um, I, I really am one of these that think that our, John, our job is never done. So rather than finding this frustrating, I think it's actually quite exciting. And um, um, the motivation to keep going is really found through uh, reading and, and, and trying new things to see what could work even better. Um, so going from page to practice, um, it's... Um, for me, it's an effort to be more focused on what I'm trying. Um, it's, to, it's about maximising my time uh, to implement something that I know is more likely to be successful. Um, so it's, it's both exciting and more um, efficient, if you want. That's great. There's so much in that definition. And I picked up on the word quest you used at the start, and I really liked that word quest. It makes it sound all a bit mythical, doesn't it? But I like it. I totally get where you're, where you're going with it. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. So, today uh, you've come to talk about a whole range of things, really. When I emailed you just before this recording a couple of weeks ago, you gave me a whole load of things we could possibly talk about today, and that's great. So, I think the first thing I'm going to ask is, you know, why are you interested in evidence-informed CPD? What what got you to this point? And, And clearly... 
you know, you are, as you just mentioned, the um, organising the research at Cheshire. So tell us, you know, why are you engaged in this kind of area? I'm engaged in this kind of areas, as I mentioned before, because I, I believe it is um, an effective way to um, go about improving oneself all the time. And it's also about um, um, kind of looking at what other people are doing and sharing good practice and, and, and seeing how the, the research is being applied as well. Uh, it's also interesting because obviously, as I say before, I've been a teacher a long time and how it's changed um, uh, over the years. Um, and now it's, um, I think, a lot more more rigorous. But at the same time, people are not just taking um, evidence as the gospel. You know, it's something that people want to experiment with and say, well, OK, it's, it's, it's evidence informed. It's, it's obviously a good practice in some contexts. But is it right for me? And that's what I'm really, really interested in, just to, to looking at how it's being implemented um, in the classroom. Uh, I'm also very, very interested in um, what I call grassroots movements. That's why I, I love, um, I really, really enjoyed organising that first research head, um, because it's about all sorts of people kind of mixing, mingling and, and kind of um, starting things, you know, and, and starting to um, reflect on what they're doing uh, and, and trying to get better all the time. Um, I've also been involved a lot with the um, Association for Language Learning. And even though we're only starting to be more uh, um, research informed, it's the same idea. It's about implementation, really, of what's out there. Um, I also think that the uh, the research informed, uh, the evidence informed approach has really, really helped me develop my understanding of um, leadership. There's a lot, a lot of things around, and I recently completed my NPQSL. So obviously, at the back of that, I've had to do a lot, a lot of reading, and it's really interesting to see. It's not just about um, classroom practice; it's also about leadership practice. So there's so many things that I've picked up on there. I'm going to try and pick up on them in, in order that I thought of them to begin with. But um, So could we pick up with the research, Ed? What what uh, what made you go for, okay, there's, there's these great national events, there's loads going on uh, regionally. What made you decide, yeah, I think this is something we could do? Is there a group of people within your school who are all kind of that way inclined? or? Oh, originally I was the research head team <laughs> so when people say talk to the team I said well it's going to be an easy one because it's me <laughs> but what the idea of that was really to kind of um uh, I suppose develop the enthusiasm around it I mean we've we have been doing quite a lot of things in school obviously linked with that with linked with research and trying to get people to look at different things but it was really about um trying finding out what what's out there um, really promoting it within the school as well to, to to get people engaged. So it was more kind of promotion kind of thing for me um, to really really get people to to click with it because I think it's everybody's at this. Oh, I've heard about it, but everybody's got this moment where they think, ah, this is what it's about and this is why it's important. This is what it does for me. So it's about people realizing what it can do for them as well. Because Research Ed is a uh, well-established brand, if you can call it that, people know what they're going to get when they um, when they attend. Um, it, it's been it's been good to kind of um, 
get people on the ground more involved, really. Um, also, and that's me as a person who was based in the Northwest, there is not as many kind of events like that going on in the Northwest as there are in the South. So I was really quite keen for us to have something local and also featuring local people um, and not just the people who, who do research ahead anyway. Um, and I think for me that was really, really important. So kind of um, develop this local kind of um, approach as well. So that, 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 I was really pleased with that. We had a really, really lovely mix of um, national speakers and local speakers. So I was going to ask you a question that I think leads on with that or is quite connected. You said you've had quite a mix of local and national speakers. Do you think there were people who attended who maybe wouldn't usually have attended a research ed or haven't been to one before, uh, maybe didn't even know research ed existed, but because it had brought it local to them, it was an opportunity for them? Oh, totally, totally. And that's really was my intent, to be fair. Um, because, you know, I said to people, oh, we've got research ed. I'm really, really proud with this. Usually the question was, what is it? So it was fa- it was great, actually, to be able to promote it fur- further and also to kind of remind people about evidence-informed in- practice. I mean, we were lucky enough to have um, um, Dame Alison Peacock there as well. So obviously we had some really, really great representative, you know, to, to kind of um, get people to really reflect and think about what evidence-informed could mean for them. Um, so that was great. No, I think that's great because, yeah, it's easy to kind of live in a, a Twitter, as it were, bubble, uh, Twitter X, whatever we want to call it, in a bubble of teacher social media where we think everyone is engaged with these things. And we know that that's not the case. There's just a bubble of, of people that are. And to start bringing that a bit more into the consciousness of other people. So when you're saying, you know, people said to you, oh, research ed, what's that? You know, the fact that, that it's giving that opportunity, um, it, it, I think it's really, really valuable and really worth doing. So um, uh, what was I going to ask you just now? Oh, I know. Uh, do you think things have kind of changed over the course of your career? So these, you know, you mentioned earlier that you think they have a bit, but maybe you could go into a little bit more detail. What are the, the key changes you think that from when you first started teaching to the opportunities maybe that are available for the ITTs that you work with now? Um, I, I think it's changed massively. First of all, it used to be for me um, this idea of trends, but we never knew where the trends were coming from. So the trends were often fads. And I mean, you can imagine in 30 years I've been through that many fads. Now, when people say something, I'm thinking, I think I've seen this one before. <laughs> so um, it's changed massively when that people are not so willing to just jump necessarily. They, they want to know where it's from. Uh, and what's really interesting is because of the evidence-informed kind of movement, people are more critical. They're more willing to say, "Okay, that might work for you. Where does that come from? Where was that kind of? Where does the ev- where, what is the evidence base like?" And it's the sort of conversation we never used to have. Uh, so that that's I think really really good. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I remember training and things coming up that that just. We, we would now look at those things and go, really? 
what what are you talking about? But that they were just kind of being swallowed by people and, and believed for just taken as fact. And I think I think to an extent I was a bit of a, a victim of that. You know, I would listen to things I was being told, and because I was being told them by someone who was the expert in the room who was training me, I would just kind of go along with it. And it was only afterwards when someone would say, But yeah, you were in a in a higher education situation, you should be being critical of those things. And you think, Oh yeah, well I guess I guess that's true, but we, we kind of weren't. We kind of just went, oh, yep, that's the, that's the thing they're telling me. That's the best way of doing this. I'll do it. So I think you're right there. The fact that we're asking more questions and, and being more critical and thinking about how it applies to our own situation is, is really, really important. And also I would add to that, um, I mean, at some point, I uh, can't remember whether, it was probably more in the middle of my career. Everything was justified, but this is what Ofsted wants. Um, so we we're not even uh, willing to look at it. does it work, and that that really got me worried. To be fair, yeah, that's a really good point, and that's the question that's that we're asking a lot more now, isn't it? Does it work? Where does it work? Who does it work for? Why does it work? Uh, and really, really digging into that a lot more than maybe we've done previously. Um, so could you tell us a little bit more about you sitting in your role now? You work with um, trainee teachers. Uh, so that must mean you're doing a lot of work with, with the early, well, no, if you're working with ECTs as well, with the early career framework, how are you finding kind of the way things have moved on with that? Um, I, my, my, my uh, remit is uh, ITT, so it's trainees. Uh, somebody else is, is looking after the ECT. Um, but what I found fascinating is um, I the way I was trained, I was trained through uh, something that would have been probably called school direct, but wasn't at the time because it did not exist. And we were a minority of people. Uh, it was even prior to the GTP, uh, for those of us who remember the GTP. Uh, so the idea was that I spent um, two years in schools and I had um, pretty much a full-time table um, and I was take, I had kind of um, training built into it and I had a mentor in school and a mentor that came from uh, what was then um, uh, Kent LEA. So it was a long, long time ago. Um, and what was interested with that, what, what was interesting for me is obviously I, then I, I started working with PGC students. Um, so I have not been through the PGC myself, but obviously I've mentored um, quite a few <laughs> um, um, tra PGC trainees over, over the years. And it was really interesting to see the slight difference depending on the providers. But obviously this has gone completely, completely mad now because of all the different routes you can have into teaching. So as an ITT kind of coordinator, I'm working with currently about four or five different providers um, and then that's why I'm not looking after the ECC. That's plenty, plenty, plenty to be done. So, for instance, I'm working with people like um, the local universities. I'm looking with um, um, different t teaching hubs. Um, and they each have slightly different kind of approaches, even though obviously the, the, the criteria are, you know, the same. Um, and I found that really, really um, fascinating, to be fair. Um, I've also um, just started working with Teach First, which is 
not well it's kind of ITT but not ITT because obviously you're thrown at the deep end with uh, Teach First and the, the system uh, the system is also really really uh, different and interesting so even though I, I it's the way I came into teaching i.e. training on the job mostly it's really interesting to see how things have developed and it's now more um, let's say there are more roots now um, um, approaching teaching like that than they were in the past um, so that's been really interesting. Obviously, also looking at the wide range of subjects, because I do this for the whole school. I mean, I, I was a mentor, obviously, for um, um, Spanish or French. Um, and it's quite interesting to see, to liaise with all the departments, to, to look at what these specific standards look like in their subjects. And I, I really find that very, very exciting. And uh, hopefully, I'm, I'm 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 developing my own skills with this to make sure I provide a, as good a support to the the trainee as I can. I think that's really interesting to think of how actually that it helps to to develop you, not just the trainees, because yeah, of course you are having to get involved in all sorts of stuff across the school and try and you know you can't observe a lesson in a completely different subject if you are completely you know you know. We find a lot in MFL, I think, that we say, oh, yeah, well, I was observed today, but I was observed by someone who who's never taught an MFL lesson in their life and, you know, the, the issues that come with that. So I think it's good that you have to have that open mind and be willing to learn about the other subjects to be able to, to step in and observe them too. And um, I was thinking when you were talking we, we think these kind of ranges of different ways of entering teaching are really, really positive. And I, I really do because I think it's an p- opportunity for more people to step into teaching who wouldn't necessarily have done so if the only route was a PGCE, for example. So I did School Direct when it was actually called School Direct, um, but I did that with a PGCE because I didn't want, I thought at the time, to do a PGCE on its own so there's been so many routes haven't there and that's really great but yeah that must put a lot of strain on ITT coordinators to to learn the differences and to be able to support a range of trainees that you've got with you is there a particular challenge of that of you know are there things that they do particularly differently that make that difficult Um, I think it's just really getting used to working with such a different range of people um, because if you work with university and if you work with people in, in school, obviously, uh, I think um, it, it's quite different. So uh, bearing that in mind, bearing that, that in mind that if I need to, um, for instance, contact somebody um, who is a, a school teacher and, and is doing that as part of their remit, maybe the way they, uh, how they, the time they, they, they take to get back to me, I need to know that, you know, they will get back to me, obviously, but it might not be straight away because they might need to wait for the next time where they've got free. <laughs> so practical things like that, I think, uh, it, it's, it's, it's really good to bear that in mind. Um, but also it's about the local context. Um, it's quite different if you deal with... Um, uh, for instance, um, a small teaching hub, or if you if you um, working with with quite a, a larger organisation, where things are maybe uh, maybe the job uh, kind of definitions, the, the job um, specs are more precise. So it's not like it's a bit like me when I was organising the <laughs> the research chain when people say, "Oh, I need to talk to talk to your finance." So I said, "Well, yeah, I'll, I'm going to have to do that." <laughs> so that's the problem. If it's if it's a smaller uh, 
a smaller kind of organization, you've got to realize the person you talk to is probably has got all the jobs possibly <laughs> linked with that. Um, so, so that that that's one of the things. And all, also the dates, I would say, because the dates can be a little bit different, you know, when they come in. Uh, they've been better at trying to make them a little bit more similar, but I've got to be on the lookout. Hang on. So who is in now and who's going to not be in school? So managing calendars, I think, is a, quite a big um, challenge. And also the fact that we are offering in-school professional study programme. So if I want to offer this to all the trainees that come from different providers, I need to make sure the day I offer it, I offer the session where everybody's in, and I can tell you that can be a massive challenge. Yeah, it's just all those sorts of things that you don't necessarily think about. And I guess, you know, it's possibly not not a problem that has been had in the past because maybe um, schools would have trainees from a couple of universities and the universities were more or less aligned with how they did it. And now there's so many options, which, as I said before, I think is great, but uh, it does cause a number of challenges by the sounds of it. Um, what's interesting about having a range of providers also is um, they each bring different things to what we do in school. Um, if they, they look at slightly different things or they've got a slightly different approach, it gets you to kind of reflect on what you do in school as well, which is good. And that must be really interesting, actually really helpful for the, the trainees when you then get together um, and they can say, oh, well, oh, yeah, we're covering this topic in this session today, but with my provider, we've looked at this before, but with your provider, you've looked at this type of thing. And actually, that's a really good experience for for, for them to have. If they're in a school where there's lots of trainees, I'd, I'd, I've always felt that makes a big difference, you know, if you're in a school with lots of other people who are in the same position as you as compared to being in a school where you're one of, you know, just a couple of trainees. So, uh, yeah, what I was going to say just now is is um, I'm going to jump back a little bit. I know I'm jumping all over the place, but it's thinking of things you've said in the past. Um, so talking about the, the grassroots movements and associations you've, you've mentioned, um, and you've mentioned the Association for Language Learning, and for anyone who's, who's not a language teacher, there will be equivalents out there in your subject. But what do you think are the, the benefits of being involved with organisations like AWL? I think it's great because you, first of all, this idea, uh, I think teaching can be, you can be quite isolated as a teacher, depending on your context. So if you, um, if you've got a small department or anything like that, it's great to know there are people out there who are having sometimes the same struggles you are having. Um, there are loads and loads of sources. I think it's great for inspiration. It's great to find out what, what is going on um, in the anything subject specific. Um, it's it's absolutely um, great to also meet like-minded people, uh, whether it's face-to-face -face or um, virtually. Obviously, since COVID, there's been a lot more kind of virtual activity, but it's still great um, to, to, to meet people face-to-face. -face. Uh, for instance, AL has a, a, a big language world um, conference uh, every year and it's it's the most joyful moment when we all kind of Skype a big family we all kind of meet each other again we catch up with each other so it's it's not just a professional thing it's also a personal thing 
um, I think with associations because we're all people and we all have in common that love of the subject that we have um, and it is really really interesting to see what everybody's been up to and what's been successful what hasn't and I think okay the, 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 the training sessions are really good as well but you learn probably just as much through interacting um, with people in that way. And I think you've been involved um, in the past and definitely going to in the, in the future, although I call it the future, but potentially by the time this episode is released, it will also be the past um, <laughs> with uh, Teach Me MFL icons. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah I love them. I, <laughs> I love that as well because it's local. Um, so, um, you know, I'm in Manchester and it's really, really close. And, it you know, it kind of gets me to mix with people from other local schools. Some people come from further, um, um, you know, afield, but it's really, really good. Um, and what I also like is what I call there are no divas uh, kind of events. Um, so people, people, you talk, whether you're keynote or not keynote, or whether you're just there, what, what, you know, watching, people really, really mingle nicely. And um, there's not this kind of, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm above you because I've been speaking. There's none of that going on, and I'm really, really like that. Yeah, I think you're right there. I think there's something really nice about those kind of events where everyone gets something from everyone else they speak to, and whether that's just another connection or it's an idea or they've questioned something they're already doing. But it... People are very much on a level pegging, aren't they? You know, we've done online webinars where we've had, you know, names in the MFL community, if, if that's the way to put it, speaking, but then they are just in the audience with everybody else and asking the same sorts of questions, participating in the same way. And there's, there's no, I like your, your divas thing. And I was going to use the word ego. There's no ego involved in it, is there? And I think, I think that's really important that we've, we retain those kinds of spaces. Mm, definitely. And also this idea that it doesn't matter how knowledgeable you are, it doesn't matter how long you've been doing this. Um, if you start thinking you can't learn from anybody else, well, I think it's time, it's time to think about stopping, really. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. I think that's a really good point. You know, we can we can all learn something. We often find that that ITTs or ECTs or those fairly new to the professional will present something and that will make some of us go oh yeah that's actually a really good point or I hadn't thought about it that way and and for people to be willing to learn from people at any stage and I think for me that's a lot of what this podcast is about you know having people from all different subject areas contexts years of experience um, but all being able to learn something from each other. It's, it's absolutely key no I, I really really agree with that. So I think the last thing I wanted to ask you about, um, because I've had a few people on who've talked about various different um, qualifications they've done. So I've had someone talk about becoming a chartered teacher. I've had someone else talk about masters. And you mentioned just now that you've just finished up uh, an MPQSL. So can you tell us a little bit about how that went for you, what it was like? Oh, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it's uh, it's a big commitment in in the way that um, it, it's it's over eighteen months. Uh, what I find, what I found was that it kind of really focused my readings because um, I'm, I'm a prime culprit of saying, "Oh, this is interesting," and then fall fall into a, a massive rabbit hole, and then kind of realize, you know, hours and hours after that, really, okay, that's interesting, but should I maybe I could have spent my time <laughs> in a different way. So in a way that kind of helped me. Um, Prioritise my reading, um, looking at um, 
the the practice around me, looking at what I was doing, I really reflecting and do that on a regular basis. So I really, really enjoy that. I also love the analytical side of things. Uh, so, for instance, when we had, um, we've got a number of um, tasks, obviously, throughout the program where you've got to um, look at things slightly differently or present information in a slightly different format. And the last task um, I've, was a big challenge for, I really thought it was a big challenge, but I really, really enjoyed this. Um, it's You've really got to look at all the different aspects of the, the case study and try to extract all the things that you've learned. Um, so I really, really found that it was it was challenging, but immensely satisfying <laughs> in a kind of weird way, <laughs> um, um, because it really kind of gets you to, to look at what you've learned and think about the context. And for me, it was particularly challenging because the case studies was a primary um, uh, based on a primary school. And I kind of did not expect that. So when I, when I looked at primary, I thought, ah, this is interesting. Um, because it doesn't matter whether you're doing MPQSL, whether you're a primary school teacher or secondary school teacher. Basically, the case, the last case study, which determines whether you've passed or not, amongst other things, it can be either primary or secondary. So that really got me thinking about, oh, that's uh, there's so many things that are different between primary and secondary, but also that are similar in terms of management. Uh, that, that I found that really, really quite interesting too. Oh yeah, that's really interesting. I'm sure that could potentially be a, a, a bit of a bit of a shocker, but actually really important to make us realise the the differences and the things we can learn from different contexts. So I spoke to uh, Lisa, who's a primary math specialist, a, a while ago, and I came into that conversation thinking, "Oh my goodness, like how am I gonna how am I gonna do this?" Because I, I come in and speak to people like you, and I go, "Right, you're from an MFL background, secondary. This is all very comfortable for me." Um, but how am I going to speak with this person? What are I going to have in common? And actually you find you learn so much uh, from those other contexts, but also that you've got way more in common than, than you might have thought about before. So do you think, were there other things that were kind of primary related or any interaction with primary teachers you had during the, the course or was it kind of just down to that last uh, case study? No, no, no. Um, there were quite a lot of interactions as well um, in terms of the, we had some, group coaching session uh, and there were people from different um, from primary and secondary and it was really quite interesting to kind of um, you know, discuss the same kind of issue through those two lenses I thought that was really good and more recently with ALL I was um, I was in Malaga for a, a week uh, quite recently doing a CLIL course so uh, teaching through the medium of um, the, the language and it was really really interesting because on that CLIL course uh, we had primary, secondary, and um, and also university teachers. And they all they were all language teachers, but that also kind of re really kind of confirmed my idea that we can learn so much just talking through people across um, from different uh, contexts and settings. Uh, it was really quite um, awe inspiring, actually, when um, we talked to some primary school teachers what what they were doing in languages, and like, oh my goodness. Um, because we have no idea some, most of the times, even though we do primary liaison, um, it's really interesting to see what's out there in, in the different um, contexts as well, settings, definitely. 
Oh, I think we've got so much to to learn and to gain from from those interactions. And obviously, this this I think is more of a luxury since I've stepped away from the classroom into a different role and have a, a different amount of time on my hands. I guess that I've recently started as a um, as a primary school governor, uh, and I've only been in once so far. But it is eye opening the differences, but also the things that that hopefully my secondary background can bring to them, and that I can learn from them too. So and that's the type of experience and opportunity that if anyone has the the chance to do that um can really really make a difference to you and really help you kind of widen your experience and widen your knowledge of of education more generally um away from your own school setting it's all about joining the dots isn't it uh, and I'm, I'm exactly i started as a um uh, further education uh, college um governor in september for exactly the same reason, because currently I'm teaching in a school that's 11 to 16, and I have taught. Obviously, I've taught in 11 to 18s, but I it was the, the college is a really, really completely different context, and it's a different size as well. It's way, way bigger than than any school I've ever worked at, um, and I've learned so much through the experience. So it's time again, but it's it's really, really good CPD. <laughs> Yeah, and something that you can really, and they they always want more people from an education background to be involved, you know, like, uh, obviously, it's important for a governing body to have a a wide range on it, but they they do often look for for people from education background as well. So yeah, if there's anybody uh, thinking, oh, you know, maybe I have got some time to give to that kind of thing. um, I used a website called Inspiring Governance, and it essentially told you what was around you, what schools were looking had vacancies um and and if they were looking for people from any particular backgrounds as well they'd tell you that but um if yeah that's something that if you're interested in it and i saw a couple of other teachers talking about it online the other day actually saying that they were starting as governors so i'd um i'd highly recommend it for anyone who feels they have that that bit of headspace required to be able to give up a bit more extra time um but definitely worth it from a practical point of view as well, um, on the MPQSL, there is a, um, um, a unit uh, de- um, really dedicated to governance. And that was so interesting, uh, you know, to study for that as I was going through my, my starting my journey as a governor. Uh, and then again, it was great to look at the practice and look at the, the theory and be able to kind of apply some of the knowledge really in, in what I was doing. So that was really, really, really quite inspiring as well. Oh, that's good. Yeah, because that, I think that's an important area to to have some knowledge of, isn't it? And quite often we don't have quite the right knowledge. We know who the governors are, maybe, and that they've come into school and what they've roughly they do. But to have a module that that really helps your understanding of governance and its purpose, um, it's probably something we should all have more knowledge on. So I'm, I'm pleased to hear that it's it's made its way into the MPQSL. <laughs> Um, so before we wrap up this section and, and move on, was there any other kind of topic that you were hoping to talk a little bit about today that we haven't covered? Oh, just really one thing, uh, although it's a big thing, but I can just allude to it, um, is the fact that I, I believe, I really consider languages to be a core subject. And when I say that, people really, ooh, we've got a lot of eyebrows raising there. Um, because I, I see us a bit like um, literacy on steroids. You know, it's uh, um, it, it's a lot of people don't realise, you know, when we talk about reading, when we talk about literacy, um, they say, our language teachers, how, 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 why is she talking about this? 
Um, people really don't see us as a main as mainstream for that reason because we're not a core subject. You know, we're not designers as core subject. But I do believe we offer a lot of things that are uh, core subject, and that's one one of my really really um, big area of interest is literacy uh, and how it can be promoted through languages. So that that's one that I'm particularly uh, knowing the um, the impact anything to do with literacy and reading in particular has on any uh, pupil um, it, it's really really important that we don't sidestep um, we don't um, push languages aside uh, thinking we're just a, a bit of fluff really um, I really think we have a literacy <laughs> no, I think that's got a really good point and actually that links back to I think it was episode two of this series of the podcast where I spoke to Adam Lamb specifically about reading and literacy and and all those kind of things so anybody who's just listened to, to Isabel saying that if that's something you're interested in and you haven't listened to episode two go back and listen to that because that's basically we had the most geeky discussion about all types of research and for an hour so that's uh, that's the place to go for that for sure um so, Isabel, if anybody wants to contact you or follow you anywhere, um, what's the best way of them getting in touch with you? Uh, best way is uh, Twitter or, well, yeah, X, formerly known as Twitter. Um, my, uh, my handle is ICPJones in one word. Uh, and I, I, do, I do engage a lot. It's my main way of engaging with um, other people. Um, I have also other accounts, but that's the main one I go to. Great. Well, I'll make sure I put that in the notes of this podcast and I put a link for it and everything in there. So that's great. Sign up to receive the From Page to Practice weekly newsletter to read tips and advice from my guests, as well as information on upcoming episodes. Find the link in the show notes for this episode. So, we are now on to our CPD library round. Now, given that this is so number 15, maybe 14, not sure anymore, 15, I think people who are listening will just about have the have the gist of what we do now. But the CPD library round, I will give you a category and you can respond with, it could be a book or it could be a person, it could be a podcast, it could be a whatever that you think uh, kind of links to that category for you are you all right to have a go oh yes <laughs> perfect in that case the first one uh, seems very relevant for today because we have very much spoken about this first got you into evidence informed practice okay originally i'd say carol dweck uh, mindset but we had other loads of, loads of other things like evidence-based teaching by jeff petty as a book um, was really, really, uh, really good for me. Um, then looking at uh, Dillian Williams' work on Inside the Black Box, particularly the MFL version of it that he did with Jane Jones, that was really absolutely essential for me. More recently, um, An Ethic of Excellence, uh, Ron Berger, and da Daisy Christodoulou, Making Progress, definitely. And then we had another wave of it with Tom Sherrington's um, Rosenshine Principles in Action and Kate Jones, which we practice so you can see the progression here 
and lots of names and and i i really i kind of want to go back over past episodes and just start making a tally chart of the times the same names come up um because there's there's definitely a picture of the the commonality of what people are reading but also some different things so actually surprisingly in 15 episodes i think you're the first person to mention carol dweck so um it's interesting to see where these conversations go yeah yeah i think you are um not so much with tom sherrington daisy krista do Dylan William, they have definitely come up before. <laughs> it's my um, age. So the next <laughs> one is <laughs> uh, is what resonated with you the most is the next one. Okay, without any shadow of a doubt, the CPD curriculum by Zoe Markenza. It just was released at the best time for me when I was actually considering a CPD curriculum for all school. So it was great because it was concise, it was useful, it really gave me it gave me some clarity about how to go about it. Um, and you know, it's a great book, and it's one that I would recommend anybody who's actually uh, considering putting together a um, CPD program. Yeah, that's a good one. I've definitely talked about that. When did I talk about that? I think I I did a little session on, you know, whether our CPD needs to be more about the why rather than the what. And definitely there were things that that I took from that book um, exactly for that purpose. Um, So challenged your views. Okay. We had a a mini book group recently at school and we looked at Good to Great by Jim Collins, which is like a, a management kind of leadership kind of book and it was really interesting because it really challenged my view as um, about the leadership hero how to be a good leader you don't need to be necessarily a hero Uh, it was it's it's the book that's um, based not in in the educational world but that's why it really got me thinking um, as to sometimes do we consider that leadership in education to be a good leader, you need to be a hero. So that was one of them. And the other one that really challenged me was um, um, the book by uh, Kim Scott, uh, Radical Candor. Um, it's all about this, um, particularly what she says about um, ruinous empathy, when it's not because you're being empathetic with somebody that you're actually supporting them correctly. <laughs> I mean, it is lots of other really great things in the book, but that really, really challenged me. Um, and I, I've certainly really been thinking about this quite a lot. Um, so this idea of um, you, you're supporting somebody, it's good to show empathy, but if you show too much empathy, you're not actually supporting them properly. So that was a challenge. Oh. No, I think when these books that come up that are from outside education, she really like that because if we're only reading books about education by people in education, we're not widening what we're thinking about enough at all, are we? So the fact that both of the books you've you've mentioned there have come from elsewhere, I think is a, is a really important thing to be doing. So the next one had the biggest impact on your practice. Okay, um, bearing in mind that I'm a language teacher, I'm going to go with Gianfranco Conti and Steve Smith's um, Breaking the Sound Barrier and Memory uh, and what every language teacher needs to know about it. They're both really accessible books and they're both evidence-informed and they're extremely useful for any language teacher. <laughs> and you know what? I think 
most of the language teachers I've had on have said exactly the same thing. So that's great that we're uh, we're on the same lines here. <laughs> um, so should be required reading for either ECTs or ITTs. I imagine you'll veer towards ITT with your, your current role, but up to you. Okay. Um, the go-to is the teaching like a champion, but I think there are books um, that are really, really uh, useful for new teachers. I'm thinking ITTs or ECTs here. Uh, the Pep, Pep McRae's um, uh, High Impact Teaching Series, he's got four books now. The fourth book is more for, I mean, it's great, it's about CPD. I love that book, but I don't think it's as suitable for new teachers. But the first three, so you've got the Lean Lesson Planning uh, two is memorable teaching and three is motivated teaching and I think these are really really brilliant books they're very concise just the kind of thing that you need when you you're thinking okay my lesson planning is not going quite as well as it could do let's grab the book and you've got principles to go back onto. it's very focused very supportive and very concise, which I think all new teachers need, uh, because if you if you grab a book and that's very wordy and you can't you can't really see what the suggested approach is, um, it's not quite as um, supportive of new teachers who are really really time poor. Absolutely, really accessible books as well, aren't they? Because of their size and the ability to just pick it up and find what you need. Um, so we've got about four more left now, and the next one is inspired you. Okay, uh, this one is also one that's not a, a strictly educational book. It's, it's called Dare to Lead and it's by Bernie Brown. And I really love that book. Um, uh, it's about leadership again, but it's about all sorts of other things. Um, and it's, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant book. Um, and one of the best things that I liked about it is this idea that we don't pretend to have we don't have to pretend to have the right answers but we need to stay curious uh, to ask the right question and if anything was going to to kind of summarize what i think is that that is it uh it's really important to keep an open mind all the time and don't pretend that because you've been in the game for quite a long time you've got all the right answers because we don't <laughs> so i really really enjoyed that and it's all about sharing vulnerabilities um it's about authority but about support as well it's a brilliant brilliant book uh, it sounds like it really sums up some of the things we've spoken about today actually in terms of continuing to question and that we can all learn something from from other people and all that kind of thing so it sounds like it it fits in with with everything we've spoken about so if this conversation has kind of resonated with anybody it sounds like the book for them to go and pick up um where am I up to? Or oh, your most recent read. What's what's the your most recent one? Okay. So my summer read was uh, so far, one of them, uh, was also Bill's Meaning uh, Meaningful Learning in Action by Sarah Cottingham. I absolutely love this. Uh, I'm thinking of loads and loads of different ways I'm going to put this into practice. Um it's um it's a great book because I understand the original um, um, paper by Osubo is actually quite difficult to access. And Sarah Cottingham's got done an absolute sterling job at taking it apart and, and showing the, showing how it can be implemented in a meaningful way in the, in the classroom. Um, for me, it's all about um, lesson sequencing, um, how you can maximise um, 
um, curriculum sequencing as well. So it's a bit technical, but I think that the put into practice, it could have a massive, massive impact in the classroom. That in action series is doing so well. You know, it started, of course, with the Rose and Shine in action, and now it's gone even further. And I think a lot of people have found those particularly accessible books, and they're good for using as um, book club books within school because they're quick. It's easy to encourage people to read them because there's not too much to them, and they're directly applicable to the classroom really quite quickly, aren't they? So I'm glad you've brought one of those up so we can mention those. Two more left then. What is your next read? What's sat on the top of the to-be-read pile? Well, my to-be-read pile is absolutely gone mad. But what's at the top at the minute is Outsmart Your Brain by Daniel Willingham. I I bought this quite a while ago. I still haven't read it. And he's staring at me, shouting, read me, read me, read me. And I think I will. I will. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally then, so this one... the category is doesn't exist but should and people have taken this different ways so it might be a book that you think would have been really useful at the start of your career um and you wish you'd had it or a book that yeah you think there's this particular topic i'm interested in and i can't find just one book summing it up or i'd love it if these little articles from different places were all summed up in one place so yeah it doesn't exist but you would like it to Okay, what I would really like is I would like um, a book to kind of help secondary uh, school teacher to to get out of the secondary subject silos. Um, Something like what MFL has ever done for us, what uh, P has ever done for us. You know, like a little, little series there, and you look at the subject, and instead of looking at subject for the subject's specific things to see what that subject actually brings in terms of cross-curricular. So I mentioned before, you know, MFL and literacy, it could be uh, something like um, art and modelling. It could be like something like um, um, debate and discussion uh, in humanities. You know, things that each subject are really, really, really strong at and people don't necessarily realise, and that's not shared enough. So I think that'd be a really, really great idea for a book. I love the sound of that because we are all too, you know, within our own subject, aren't we? And we don't think, you know, some people can really do down other subjects because they think they're not you know not worth it and and actually to to see what we can all learn from other subject areas um i think would be really really beneficial oh i really like that idea good i'd go as far as saying that's the best one of these to come out of this question i love it thank you so um that that wraps us up basically for today so thank you so much for for coming on and spending this you know nearly an hour of your saturday morning in the middle of the summer holidays and actually you know what you were one of the very first people to come forward and say you really wanted to be involved but with research and everything you were just too busy at, at the time so i really appreciate that since i don't know maybe may when i put this out you've waited all the way till august to have this conversation so thank you very much <laughs> Thank you very much for having me and the wait was definitely worth it. Are you interested in evidence-informed practice? Do you have a favourite edgy book? Have an idea of what great CPD is and should be? Or to just generally have a chat about education? Please sign up to join me for a conversation. I rely on volunteers from all contexts and levels of experience. Visit learninglinguist.co.uk 
forward slash page practice podcast for the sign up form. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week, you'll hear from Ben Breen and our conversation around how to be an advocate for being research informed, but without alienating others. Please do sign up if you'd like to chat about anything related to CPD, evidence-informed practice, or really anything that fits under the umbrella of From Page to Practice. I've especially enjoyed being contacted by people I've never spoken to before or even followed on social media. It really brings something new to the podcast. So please use up the sign-up form and get in touch. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag page practice podcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons.